Um, as we get into the word, I want to start this message today with a story that I actually heard not too long ago, um, and I, I believe that it's a story that can really inspire you to see things that maybe you've never seen before. So many years ago, actually about 380 years ago, in 1642, there was a little boy who was born in Walsdorf, I don't know how to pronounce that, England. This little boy was born to incredibly difficult circumstances. He, um, his father died about three months before his young mom, who was only 19 years old, had him. Um, he was born extremely early, so he was premature. And in that day, 380 years ago, we didn't have the kind of care that we have today. So for years, after that little boy was born, he was weak and sickly. He wasn't doing very well. And sadly, his mom, having lost her husband and being young, found herself in, in a time of famine with no way to support herself. She was hopeless. She was in a very difficult situation. She had this little boy who was three years old, and along came a priest. And I wish I could tell you good news about what the priest did, but unfortunately, he offered to take this woman and to marry her and give her security, financial stability, but he had hatred in his heart towards a little boy. And he said, I'll marry you, but the little boy can't come, can't come with us. And unfortunately, again, the mom sent the little boy off. She was desperate and did what most of us couldn't think of doing. She sent her son away, and he went to live with his grandparents. And he was not only a sickly little boy, but he also, at three years old, could recognize what rejection felt like. And so this little boy would sit on a hill, and he would look across this hill or this mountain to the village where his mom lived. His mom lived there with her new husband, and he would just sit there in fury. His heart would get angrier and angrier as time went, and he simply didn't have the capacity to understand how his mom could leave him and how he would be this little boy feeling all alone. And so it came time to start school, and the little boy started school. But as you can imagine, as I know personally from working at a school, angry children or hurt children become angry children. Angry children have a really hard time at school. So the little boy became known as the bully. He was difficult. Um, teachers didn't know what to do with him, and he really wasn't learning a thing because his heart was broken and he was very angry. However... Good news, the story does have some light at the end of a tunnel. There came along a teacher whose name was John Houston. And John Houston saw something in this little boy. Unlike the priest, he was actually a devout follower of Christ. He was a devout Christian. And he saw this broken and angry little boy, and he saw that there was some gold in there. So he began to pray for this little boy. He began to teach this little boy. He began to spend time with this little boy and love on him. And as time progressed, the little boy began to learn. And actually, he astounded the teachers because they began to see that he had an incredible capability to learn. He was very inquisitive. He learned quickly. And before you know it, the little boy began to excel in the area specifically of math and science. And the little boy went on to grow smarter and smarter. And eventually, John Houston supported this little boy financially. It was part of his financial support and enabled him to go to Trinity College in Cambridge. 
Eventually, the little boy, who is now a man, became well-known in all of their town, in all of their country, and now today in all of the world. The little boy's name was Sir Isaac Newton. He was one of the greatest scientists to have ever lived. And his beginning was not very good. But there was somebody who saw him, loved him, poured into him, and caused him to open up his heart and to begin to do what he couldn't do before, which was to learn and to grow. And that, my friends, shows us that with God, all things are possible. There's no life that's too difficult that we can't reach. So today, uh, the title of my sermon is Becoming What You Were Made to Be. Through John Houston and through Sir Isaac Newton, we learn that it's not how our story starts that define who we'll become. It's really a matter of what we believe and what we do with what we believe that defines who we can become. And so as you look around at history and as you get to know people, you're going to find more and more stories just like this one of people whose lives were changed when somebody else came alongside them and invested in them, who saw them and poured into them and gave them hope. Something in them began to arise, which was courage. Amen. The Bible says in Proverbs 23, 7, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. So while little Isaac sat on that hill, I'm sure he wondered what was wrong with me. What was wrong with me that Nobody could love me or take care of me, and then my own mom would, le- would leave me. And many of us today struggle with rejection and insecurity. Some of us don't know why. Why do we continually struggle with rejection and insecurity? But friends, I want you to know today that there is a God who loves you and who sees you, and his power that's available to you is unlimited. God can truly do all things in your life. But you have to choose to believe in what he says above all else. And you also get the opportunity to find somebody else, maybe somebody younger than you, and to pour into their lives to help them see who God really destined them to be. Amen? So to give you an example of the importance of belief, I want you to think for a moment about maybe somebody who's struggling with alcohol or an addiction to cigarettes. And so they really don't like what they do. They don't like that they are drunk or a drunk. They don't like that they have this addiction to cigarettes and they really want to break that habit. They, they really don't like how it makes them feel or smell. And, but they find themselves limited in their capability to break free from it. And so... They make a determination, I'm going to try to stop, let's just say smoking. I'm going to try to stop smoking. And somebody comes along and says to them, hey, man, I got a pack of cigarettes for you. Do you want one? And the guy looks at him and he says, I'm trying to stop smoking. But he doesn't yet believe that he's really free from that addiction. He really still sees himself as somebody that's addicted to cigarettes. On the other hand, you take somebody who makes a determination and a decision inside themselves that I'm breaking free from this habit. I know that God has made me able to break free from this habit. 
And so somebody comes along and asks them, hey, man, can I give you a pack of cigarettes? I don't know what you call them. There's probably a better word, or I don't know what people say anymore. It's been a long time since I was in that circle. But this time, this man says, no, I made a decision to stop smoking. See, there's something different in there. It's a belief that he could actually do what he set his heart to do. And friends, that's what I want to talk to you about today. It, it happens in all of our lives. It's happened in my life. It's happened in other people's lives that we begin to be have this mindset that there's things that we just can't overcome. There's difficulties, there's battles, there's insecurities that we just can't overcome. We don't know how to do it. And so we limit ourselves with our words. Another example would be, I have a hot temper. And you don't like your temper, you don't like the way you get angry at times, but you just have come to believe that that's just who you are. And so you continually, when you lose it and your family gets hurt, you say, I'm so sorry, I just, I have this hot temper. I just get angry. But instead, there's something different we can do. We can go to God. We can realize what he says about us and determine to believe it and begin to say, actually, God is setting me free from this anger that I'm struggling with. God says in his word that he has given me his love inside of me, and that love is patient and kind. And we begin to switch the way that we see ourselves. We begin to switch the lens that we look at our own lives with. And in turn, when that change happens, we change. Because the truth is, if you want change, you have to change what you believe. If you want change, you have to start with changing what you believe. And so maybe you would ask the question, where do our beliefs come from? Because you know what? The truth is there's things that we believe that we don't even know that we believe them. We just have these struggles or these things that we walk through that are repetitive cycles in our lives. And, and we don't know how we got there. We just know that that's how it is. And it's always been that way. So after finishing this sermon, I decided, actually, let me look up and just see what science says about our beliefs and how we, how we get there. And this is an article that I found from the Biochemistry of Belief. It was written in the Indian Book of Psychiatry. <laughs> and it says, beliefs originate from what we hear and keep on hearing from others. Ever since we were children and even before that, the sources of beliefs include environment, events, knowledge, past experiences, visualization. One of the biggest misconceptions people often harbor is that belief is a static intellectual concept. Nothing can be farther from the truth. Beliefs are a choice. We have the power to choose our beliefs. Our beliefs become our reality. Isn't that true? Isn't it amazing when science actually catches up with the Bible? How in Proverbs it says, as a man thinks in his heart or as a man believes in his heart, so is he. I want to just give you a little example. And I want to tell you why this, why is this even important? Why is it important even what I believe or who I become? I'm content in where I'm at. I think most of us aren't content where we're at. Most of us want to fulfill purpose. And we want to be our best selves. But the two reasons that this is really important, the first is because every one of us were called to bring God glory. Every single one of us. We've been made by a creator who loves us and who has a purpose and a plan for us. 
And that purpose is to glorify him and to impact the world so that many would be saved. Amen. And the second reason it's important is because there are future generations that are affected by what we believe. Even what we believe about ourselves. And as an example, I just want to just tell you a little bit of a story in my own life. So not too long ago, I was actually on the phone with a family member. And my heart was just grieved as I talked about um, someone I love dearly in my family who just moves continually from place to place to place to place and always finds herself broken and caught up in the cycle of poverty and just is always in this place of I'm desperate for somewhere to go, like not knowing where to go. And me trying to process that was just very difficult. And so I was talking to a relative and we talked about actually her mother had the same difficulty, continually running and moving from place to place and finding herself in a situation of, I don't know where to go, I don't know what to do. And to my surprise, talking to my relative, I found out that her mother actually did the same thing when she was growing up. They were always moving every year, at least every year, they would move from one city to the next, from one apartment to the next, from one house to the next. And all she craved as a little girl with stability. And so I began to think about that, and I'm like, God, this is a generational problem. From generation, from one generation to another, there's been this inability to stick to something when it gets hard, and to find yourself in a desperate situation where you have to run. And so I began to look at my own life, and I was like, God, I don't, I don't think that, you know, I actually love stability. <laughs> I tend to get a job and stay there. I tend to move somewhere and stay there. But then God, it was like God was just, Holy Spirit was just nudging me, like, look a little further. Go a little deeper. And then I began to think of actually when things get really, really hard, I have this innate desire to quit and to run. And so maybe for me it didn't look like physically packing up and moving to another house. But still that generational belief or problem followed me for many years. And you know what? It's the truth with all of us, friends. There's things, if you look a little deeper, I, I would highly suggest a book that I read this past year and Jeff read as well called The Emotionally Healthy Leader. It'll, it'll cause you to take a look at things in your life that you wanted to change maybe for a long time or that you notice or even don't notice yet that are actually that way because of how your mother was, your father was, your grandmother was, your grandfather was. So the thing is, the cycle can actually stop with you. My children can be much healthier than I am. And their children much healthier than they are. But we have to actually do the hard work of getting our hearts healthy. Of changing the things that we believe that are simply untrue because God doesn't say that they're true. And so who is it that we're becoming? You know what? There's different things that we're all called to do. We're all called to reach different people. We're called to do different things. But there is one common goal that is for all of us, and that is to become like Christ. Yeah. I want to read to you Romans 8, 29. It says, for God knew his people in advance, and he chose them to become like his son, so that his son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And having chosen them, he called them to come to him. And having called them, he gave them the right standing with himself 
And having given them right standing, he gave them his glory. I want to go back to the first part I read. It says, and he chose them to become like his son. We're all called to different areas and called to express God differently. But the common goal here is that every one of us are called to become more and more like Jesus. Every single one of us. And then I want you to notice this word. It says, so that his son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. Jesus made the way, and we are all the family of God. And we have this ability to impact many brothers and sisters through Christ. Amen? So how do we begin to do that? The first thing is we have to get to know Jesus. We can't be satisfied with even how much we know him now. There's so much more, my friends. And the more I read this book, the more I fall in love with him. The more I read this book, the more I see who God really is. And you know what? I can become like him. You can become like him. My insecurities can be washed away in the power of me knowing who I am as his daughter. Amen? Amen. There's a quote that I've loved. I've heard Jensen Franklin uh, said it in a book I read recently. It says, speak to the fool in a child and the fool will rise. Speak to the king in a child and the king will rise. You know, that not only goes to how we speak to other people and our children, it goes to how we speak to ourselves. When our concepts and our ideas and our thoughts and our beliefs about ourselves shift, so do our words. And then our habits do, and then our lives do. And we begin to become the people that God desired and destined us to be. Amen? I want to read to you from John chapter 1, verses 9 through 13. It says, The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. And he was in the world, and the world was made through him. Yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him he be- and believed in his name, he gave them the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. I want to bring you specifically to the word right. He gave them the right to become children of God. If you have believed in Jesus, if you have received him, that he's saying that you have a right to become a child of God. The word right there is the word, I don't know how to say this one either, but excusia in the Greek. This is what it means. Power, authority, right, liberty, jurisdiction, and strength. God has given you the power the ability, the authority, the jurisdiction, and the strength to become like Jesus. Isn't that good news? That's good news, friends. God's working in our lives. Philippians 2.13 says this, God is all the while working in us both to will and to work for his good pleasure. God is working in us. But we have to come in alignment with that work. The couple of things that come to my heart right away when it comes to becoming like Jesus, because it is a process. 
And we have to be willing. We have to be willing to surrender when it comes to patterns and things in our life that we want to see change and shift. The first thing we have to do is we have to surrender and not just say, this is just who I am. This is just what you get. No. What does God say in his word about you? You get a word from God, and you begin to believe it. You begin to meditate on it. You begin to say it. You begin to obey it. You begin to practice it. And you know what? It becomes more and more natural. It becomes more and more natural to be like Jesus. And you know what? If you want to be the best father that you can be, be like Jesus. If you want to be the best son that you can be, be like Jesus. If you want to be the best mother or wife or daughter, still be like Jesus. Within him is all the nurture you need, all the strength you need, all the determination you need, all the power you need. When you think of Jesus, I've last year I spent the entire year meditating on and reading through the book of John. And the theme in the book of John is really believe. I can't tell you how many times you hear that. Believe in me. Believe in what I'm doing. Believe in what I say. When we begin to believe in what God is saying, our hearts begin to shift and change. So the first step to really change is one is knowing who are you, Father? What are you doing in me? And choosing to believe it. The second part is you have to actually walk it out. You got to walk it out. You got to begin to do things that you've never done before. One of the things that I found in this last year just recently about myself is that I would easily give up when things were hard. Like things that were not in my wheelhouse. Things that were in my wheelhouse, I could press on and I could overcome and get through it. But things that were just not my natural giftings, like maybe fixing something or technology or something that I would always just kind of push away and say, oh, that's okay, somebody else can do this. Well, I started realizing, actually, that's not a good, my son told me one day, <laughs> we were in the family room, and I can't even remember what it was, but he goes, that's not a good mindset. <laughs> and I paused, and I thought from, I was like, oh, son, you're right, that's not a very good mindset. And so I began to think, you know what, I can actually do things that are difficult for me. And who said I can't anyways? Where did I begin to believe that lie? And so you have to begin to question those things that aren't natural for you or those tendencies, those things that you want to break off your life. Begin to question and say, why? Like, why do I actually believe this way? Why do I always struggle in relationships? Why do I have a hard time with, with patience or with endurance? Why do I have to walk away when, when I get too mad? Why can't I actually persevere and really love on those who are in front of me? Why do I find myself continually afraid or anxious? You've got to ask the hard questions. And then you've got to go to the word of God and say, what are you saying, Father? And you decide that that is your truth. What God says is not only truth, it is your truth. You adopt it as your truth. And then you begin to do what the Bible says. Amen. You begin to walk in the footsteps of Jesus. Something beautiful and powerful, and I had this conversation with my own family is, I said, you know what, I, I'm not going to settle because there's a lot of brokenness in my family. I'm not going to settle, and I don't want people to say, you know what, you're just like so-and-so. Because I have the DNA of God in me. I've been born of God, according to John chapter 1. I have been born of God. It says here in verse 13, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, 
nor of the will of man, but of God. That means that when we're born again, we're actually born of God. We're now children of God. Have you ever taken a moment and just imagined, what is a child of God like? I don't know. Just sit and think about that for a moment. Like, what does a child of God look like or act like? And what do they do when pressure comes? What do they do when stress comes, when heart, when they face hard things? And I don't know, when I think about what a child of God does, I feel like strength rises up in a child of God. I feel like they don't run away from things when they get hard. I feel like they can love difficult people and endure difficult circumstances. And when I look at Jesus, I see all of those things. Don't you? Amen. The last thing I really want to give you, I'm going to cut some of this short, is the other night as I was just praying and thinking about this word, um, actually, I think I was asleep. I woke up from my sleep and had to go and type it into my notes because I thought I might forget during the night. As the Lord spoke to me and he said, tell them that they have the advantage. He said, tell them that they have the advantage. And the truth is that some of us see ourselves as disadvantaged. Maybe we see ourselves as disadvantaged because of physical disabilities or mental health or the past sins of those who went before us or what we didn't have when we were growing up. But God said, tell them they have the advantage. And right away I knew what he was talking about. Because Jesus said in John 16, 7, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. To you. And we know that Jesus did go away. He went up to be with the Father, and he sits now at the right hand of the Father. And he did indeed send the Holy Spirit, who is the helper, and gives us the advantage. Amen. So you remember when things are hard and you question what you have or what you don't have, that God has given you the advantage. And his name is Holy Spirit, our helper, who helps us with all of our weaknesses. Amen. Amen. As we get ready to close this, or as I close this up, I just want to remind you guys that life can be like super hard. It can get cloudy. It can get gloomy. There can be difficult situations. And in those times, sometimes we begin to say, like, God, where are you? Are you here right now? I'm not feeling your presence. I'm not hearing your voice. Where did you go? And you know what? It reminds me of, I've been watching the History Channel, realized that I'm not too great on history, and I want to learn more. So I've been watching about, specifically about World War II, and something that's very interesting that I saw was the evacuation of Dunkirk. Any of you familiar with that evacuation? Some of you have heard about it. Incredible story, isn't it? One of the things that happened during that time is um, the French and the British, who were actually fleeing the Germans at that time, France had just been destroyed in about six weeks, and they found themselves along the sea by the seashore. There were about 300,000 military troops. They were just awaiting rescue and safety. They had just come, come from a terrible defeat, and they were just waiting for someone to come and save them. And the, cloud, the, the skies were super cloudy and smoky for days and days. The clouds were just smoky and cloudy, the sky was. And some of those troops found themselves really discouraged because they were waiting for the Air Force. 
They were waiting for the BFA, the British Air Force, to take out their enemies and to protect them, and they didn't see them doing anything. So their hearts became discouraged. But you know what was happening right above the clouds? The Air Force was actually up there. They were, they were up there, and they were fighting for them when they didn't even know it. And that's what's happening today, is there some of us that sometimes we get discouraged and we feel like, who's fighting for me? I don't hear God's voice in this season. I'm not seeing him moving. And the truth is that just above those clouds is Jesus, our intercessor, who is interceding for each of us and praying for each of us. And we can take courage and remind ourselves of that. Amen? Hallelujah. Let's just bow our heads as we close today. Father, we just thank you for who you are. God, we thank you for what you're doing in our lives, that you are making us to be more like your son, Jesus. And Father, I pray, God, that if there's any lies that we've been believing, any things that are just not true about who we are and that are not true of Jesus, that, God, you begin to break those lies apart and that we would begin to see you like we've maybe never seen you before as our conqueror, as our defender, as our righteous God. Lord God, I pray that you would create in us a clean heart and draw us close to you. Lord, we know that change only really truly happens when we're born again. When we give our lives to you, God, you take us and you make us new. So I pray, God, for every person in this room that we would draw closer to Jesus and that we would give you the things we need to give you today. In Jesus' name, amen.